Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Welcome back to Faked, guys. Sorry about the little bit of a delay in podcast um, submission because I've been sick and I figured you guys didn't want to listen to me sniffle. You could probably hear it a little bit, but I'm feeling better. So I figured I would put out a little episode here all about history's most famous scams and hoaxes. Now, if you follow me on the TikTok, uh, the TikToks, the, uh, you can check out my channel there. It's called Faked Podcast, just like this. And I do a lot of these stories and very specific things with visuals. And I think you guys would enjoy that too. So check that out. But we're going to jump, jump into this one. We're going to talk about six of history's most infamous or infamous, if you know how to speak English versus me saying infamous, uh, scams and hoaxes. So let's talk about the letter of doom. All right. So the tourists tread streets once associated with the doom in Spain's UNESCO listed historic city of Toledo, not to be confused with Toledo, Ohio. Maybe there is some influence there. I'd have to look that up. But in, in 1184, a letter that foretold the apocalypse traversed all of Europe. And I feel like during that time, 1184, everything was like apocalyptic. It was like the Black Death, all of this stuff, and invasions every week. So, I mean, this is already walking, you know, it's coming into a good start here, but it's a letter of doom and it's what it's called. So um, it warned that 1186, so this is two years after when the letter was written, would see the world end in a maelstrom of earthquakes, storms, and pestilence. So like an average Tuesday back in 1184. Um, And this... This is not anything new. You know, we still have these today. We have somebody who's willing to put all on the line just to guess the end of the world. And I've always said you're a loser either way. Like, uh, you die or you're wrong. So why would you even try to do it? I guess to make money off it, but most of the people aren't even doing that. So panic ensued, obviously. Um, People in many regions of uh, the then-known world began fasting, praying, and undertaking religious processions in order to avert the disaster. Um, So over the following centuries, adaptations of the Toledo letter circulated widely, creating fresh alarm. So maybe that's where we start to see it today, is people are reinterpreting it. Because pretty much anything that gets put out there, you can reinterpret it. Now you can turn it into something scaled to today. Uh, And maybe that is where a lot of these people base it off of. um, I mean, we have the Mayan calendar. We had, what was it, 2012. We had the whole end of the world possibly happening then. So so to delve into the tale of Armageddon, tourists can scale Egypt's spectacular Mount Sinai, where a hermit supposedly penned one of the updated versions. Huh, okay, so apparently you can go to Mount Sinai, which you know anything about the Bible, you're talking about that's where, um, I think it was Moses ended up going to the top of and talking to a, a burning bush. So um, that is the letter of doom, which, as you can see, is a pretty big scam since we are currently talking about it now in 2023, nearly 2,000 years later, not even close to 2,000, nearly 1,000, <laughs> 1,000 years later. Um yeah, gosh, no English today, no math. That's great. 
I guess I'm just going to say that's sick. Um, it's because I'm sick. So next up, I actually did an entire episode of this on my TikTok. So if you want some visuals with this, check it out. Go to Faked Podcast. But this is the snapshots of the afterlife. So a bearded man stares at the camera as a ghostly veiled lady looms over his shoulder. So you can check that out. I do have that on the the TikTok video. Basically, they would just have death photos of people, um, kind of just eerie images by an American photographer, William H. Mumler. So a lot of these are in museums now just because they're so crazy. But basically this guy invented double exposure. Maybe he didn't invent it, but he used it for nefarious purposes. So he's able to put what looks like a ghost of a loved one in the background of these um, these images. And in the mid-1800s, Mumler became uh, the renowned of America's East Coast for his apparent ability to capture spirits lurking alongside humans in images. So clients paid, I think what I, it was like four bucks. Like it was a lot of money. So they paid handsome, handsomely uh, for these photos, uh, believing that they depicted late loved ones. To fool them, Mumler used stock photos that resembled their deceased relatives. So he didn't actually use relatives, you know, just like just stock photos, which back then I didn't even know there were stock photos, like 1862. So apparently there were, maybe in magazines and things like that. And they would just, he would take that. Someone, you know, he would ask like, oh, what about your loved one? Did he have a beard? So basically he'd use like a bearded man. And if they probably had any question about it, he'd probably say, you know, that's what happens, with, you know, when they're dead. You know, they're ghosts. So did he die some certain way? Was he ran over? Blah, 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 blah. So maybe that's like his heavenly form. So he was able to just lie about that, um, which is crazy. Uh, but again, yeah, these are photos of the dead person in question and then would just put, maybe that's not, maybe, oh, it's a live photo. Yeah, so it's not the dead. I'm getting this wrong. So basically it's a photo of that individual who is paying for it. That makes more sense. So they're taking a photo of that person and then with it, there's a ghost just chilling behind it and it's the ghost of the loved one just creepily in frame, um, but people, I mean, this guy sold so many of these. So Mumler practicing his double-dealing craft in the 1860s during the heyday of spiritualism, which held that uh, communication basically with the dead was possible. That was this whole spiritualism thing was that there is actually a realm to where you can access through whatever means and able to talk to people. So the clients in mourning and grieving the losses of loved ones once engaged in a type of wishful thinking when they encountered Mumler's photographs, which offered them solace and a way to reconnect with their dearly departed. I mean, you could say that it was maybe therapeutic, but it's not because at $400, it's, uh, it's not therapeutic. It's not, you know, it's for making money plus he was also a medium, so he was double dealing in the day, and then at night he was taking these photos, so he was just raking in some money, which is nuts, uh, which obviously was a big scam. But, uh, you know, it's notable. It's all in the, where did we say these are? These are in the J. Paul Getty Museum, which is a photography museum. I guess also it's in George Eastman Museum in Rochester, New York. Okay, so... Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk about the Renaissance forgery. So inside the Vatican's Pio Clementine, Clement, Clementino Museum. Yeah, so visitors can, can see sea snakes attacked a petrified priest and 
two boys. So this horrifying artwork named La Cun and his sons was sculpted in marble, by whom exactly isn't clear, but the museum's website states it was found in Rome in 1506 and identified as the La Cun statue described by first century Roman author Pliny the Elder as a masterpiece of the sculptures of Rhodes. So, but it may not be a 2,000-year-old Greek masterpiece. Rather, it could be a Renaissance forgery by revered Italian artist Michelangelo, says Lynn Catterson, art history lecturer at Columbia University. So since the first made, um, since she first made the assertion in 2004, several art scholars have questioned her theory, but none have disproven it. So I guess she realizes that this is indeed a... Mm, I guess it's like a reproduction of, uh, what do we say? It was like 1506. Yeah, Roman 1506 Lacun statue. Uh, but they didn't really know who made it, but it's actually a Greek reproduction. So it's 2,000 years old, I guess. Um, I don't know. May not be a 2,000-year-old Greek masterpiece. I'm getting this all wrong. So um, she points to strong similarities between La Lawokun and a sketch by Michelangelo made five years before the sculpture was unearthed. So Catterson believes he may have secretly sculptured this piece and intended for it to be discovered. So that would be very Michelangelo, I feel like. He is pretty crazy about that stuff. He's a brilliant man or was a brilliant man. So antiquities were in demand, commanding very high prices because they were at the time scarce. So the Renaissance genius sculptures such as Michelangelo and before him Donatello were not stupid and so supply met demand. Brilliant Convincing fakes required brilliant sculpture. Sculptors. So these were. This is a very convincing fake, but they think it was actually made by Michelangelo. All right. So next up, this one's a little interesting. Um, sacred foreskins. So the small French city of Chartreuse lures tourists with its commanding 12th century Gothic cathedral. Also, I believe where the alcohol Chartreuse was made. And a little fun fact about that. The color chartreuse actually comes from the alcohol chartreuse, which is cool. So, yet for many years, visitors flocked not to admire its intricate stonework and stained glass window, but to see Jesus's foreskin, apparently. So, it was one of more than 20 churches in medieval Europe that claimed to possess a sliver from Jesus's circumcision, says James White, assistant lecturer in history at the University of Alberta. These relics couldn't all have possibly been real, regardless of one's faith. White says, however, after the relic had been acquired by a particular church, subsequent generations of bishops, nuns, monks, and believers thought that it possessed power. Hmm. Like a, I guess it's kind of cool that it's part of what they would assume Jesus would be. I mean, it's part of the skin. So churches and the towns uh, they were in could also get wealthy based on their relics. So I guess maybe that's why they did it was they're kind of little tourist stops. So, hey, if somebody's got a little piece of the foreskin, I bet we got a little piece of the foreskin. We got a lot of them laying around. So <laughs> uh, now no version of the holy foreskin exists. Thank God. Um, I guess thank Jesus. Many were destroyed during the French Revolution. So somebody just came in and was like, nah, dude, this foreskin's gone. <laughs> that's insane. That's crazy. Um, or maybe they took it. I don't know. So the final relic disappeared in 1983 from Calcutta or Calcutta, Calcutta. Yeah, that's how you say that. Near Rome, where it had been exhibited during the Feast of the Circumcision. That's 
Whoa, we are learning a lot here because that is a really terrible name for a festival. Feast of the Circumcision, which is held every January 1st. So maybe it's still there. All right, um, let's talk about the Napoleonic scam. So Bartholomew Lane in London's financial district is where travelers can visit the Bank of England Museum, but the short thoroughfare was once home of the London, London Stock Exchange. So the scene of an old uh, 1814 hoax, as audacious, or audacious as it was profitable. So in February of that year, British Lord Thomas Conkrane that sounds really familiar. I don't know what that would, what that's about. An accomplice, Captain de Beringer, um, sparked bedlam on English uh, England's financial markets. So their scam began when de Beringer donned a military costume and told people in Dover, England, he'd arrived from Paris. He said Emperor Napoleon had just been killed and France was about to be defeated by the Allies, a group of European nations, including the great britain at the time so the good news spread swiftly so when london stock exchange opened the next day trading boomed because they weren't under fear that it was going to crash in the sense of getting like defeated um in anticipation of this concrete had stockpiled government bonds which he immediately sold at a great margin so soon however napoleon was proven to be alive and the financial fraud was exposed concrete was tried and he attempted unsuccessfully to shift blame to de beringer he was found guilty and then fled england leaving a brazen stain on bartholomew lane so that's kind of interesting that's like an old pump and dump scheme so that was back in 1814 that's crazy Huh. All right. So, yeah, we're getting to the next one here, and this is actually the last one. So it's real artifacts, fake finds. So many travelers who enjoyed the verdant forest, dramatic waterfalls, and serene Shinto shrines of Japan's Miyagi Prefecture may not know it was the epicenter of a recent bold scientific hoax. So beginning in the 1970s, amateur uh, archaeologist... Oh, God. These names, I tell you. Shinichi... Fujimura, I feel like I landed that one pretty good, planted genuine art, ancient artifacts across Miyagi at uh, which he claimed were almost 200 Paleolithic sites up to 500,000 years old. You can still kind of follow the footsteps, I guess, of samurai on this the ancient trail there. So this rewrote the history of Japan, which until then was believed to be inhibited. Uh, or inhabited for only 30,000 years. In fact, many of the artifacts were actually from Japan's Jamon era, which is 13... <laughs> Jamon era? That is... Is that where Michael Jackson got that from? Jamon. I think he actually said Shimon. But um, Jamon, that's an interesting word. So 13,000 to 300 BC. So that was uh, the Jamon era from... It looks like it was about 12,700 years. That's pretty crazy. So Shinichi's amazing finds, you know, I'm throwing up air quotes, were widely celebrated. They even earned him the nickname God's Hands because he found all these great, amazing um, artifacts, ancient artifacts. But the foe, um, or the, yeah, the foe deity crashed to earth in 2000 when Japanese media caught him burying stoneware collected from a different location at a Miyagi excavation site. So he was just going around bearing the stuff and unearthing it. So Shinichi's scam went undetected for so long because having sites in Japan, this ancient was plausible, says archaeological um, powerhouse Mark Hudson of Germany's Max Planck Institute for Geoanthropology. 
So there was a lack of specific archaeological reason why such finds were improbable, so people just kind of went with it. Perhaps the best hoax are like that. Basically, if something's too unusual, then people are very suspicious of it, and that's kind of what we still abide by today. So guys, I appreciate you hanging in there. I'm going to have a new episode up here hopefully soon, and it'll be back to counterfeiting. I'm going to be going to some European countries here soon, so I'm very excited to put some videos out, so make sure you guys are following me on TikTok, and I'll be doing a lot of like Paris scams, because we're going to Paris. I'm going to try to find some in Bruges, in Belgium, we're going to do that too, and then finally Amsterdam as well. So guys, again, um, I yeah, I'm glad you guys listened to this, this is great, um, and yeah, just follow for more, and make sure you guys rate this, uh, if you guys can on Spotify, rate it, it definitely helps it out, so just click a... Click the five star if you like it. Um, And remember, guys, with faked items, there are those who produce them, those that purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.